0: Amen. God's good, isn't he? All the time. God's up to some crazy stuff, man, and doing some crazy stuff, isn't he? In spite of ourselves. Right? In spite of ourselves, right? Hey, we're looking at the life of Abraham. You know, we were looking at Genesis. We went through the, the whole book, 1 through 11, chapters 1 through 11, looking at the foundation of our faith, right? And then we get to chapter 11, and there's a change here, right? It's, 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 it's not so much now mankind and creation as it is one man. The focus is, is kind of shifting because in Genesis 3.15, God made a promise, didn't he? What was the promise? Y'all remember? What was the, what was the promise that God made to Adam and Eve, even though they jacked things up, right? One is coming, God said. And although you're gonna bite his heel, he's gonna do what to your head? Crush your head. So that has to take place. So it's 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 through Abraham and his family and the nation of Israel that uh the Messiah will come, right? And uh so starting in 12, the, the, the focus shifts to Abraham, and it's it's about Abraham and his life and it's about how the nation of Israel got started and ultimately the fulfillment of that promise in Jesus Christ. Amen? So then look, this is our history. Whether you're a Jew, whether you're Gentile, this is our history because we all came from where? We all came from Adam and Eve. We all came. The world was destroyed. Noah was saved, right? Eight people. We all came from Noah. You're either a Shemite, right, or a tonight or a Hamite, right? So we all came. There's only three kids, right? Remember, they kind of scattered all over the world, the, ta- the Tower of Babel, right? So, man, this is our family. And I think it's just so interesting, man, when you get into the Bible and you learn that this is our ancestry, this is our uh, history, so to speak, about where we came from and about how the nation of Israel came and how God ultimately guided, you know, I don't understand all of that. I know God's got a sovereign plan. Ain't nobody messing his plan up, right? How many plans has God got? One. He ain't got a plan B. You know that? So no matter what, and then there's his permissible will, his, his sovereign will and his permissible will, which, I I, I, I mean, it just, that gets kind of confusing in my noggin, Okay. But my permissible will, what God allows me to do, is not going to mess up his sovereign will, right? God's already planned it from the beginning of time before light was ever created. And that's an awesome thing, man. That's the God we serve, right? That's my king, right? So when you, when you got that kind of God and you think that way, it's like, ooh, okay, man. Yeah, let me serve him. Let me, let me have the right relationship with him, fellowship with him, and be obedient to him because I know God's got it worked out. You know, he's up all night anyway, right? So what are you worried about? Right? We spend all our time worrying about stuff that God's got, right? So stop. Just do what he's called us to do, right? Man, you know life is so much easier when we do that. So that's kind of where we're at here. Abram and Lot have separated. I'm not going to go back too far, but I think we need to go back. They've separated because, man, God was blessing them, right? And, and, And... By proximity, if you will, Lot was being blessed because of Abraham. So, man, they they were running out of resources. I mean, their herds are growing and things are growing. So the the Lot's folks and and Abram's Lot's folks, the herdsmen, they're starting to argue and starting to quarrel. And that's not a good witness, right? When uh, when followers of Christ start quarreling. So uh, Abram, he gives Lot first choice. He said, "Hey, man, we got to stop this business. Look, you you pick where you want to go. Wherever you go, you go left. I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. You just pick, because Abram wasn't surrendered to Lot. Who did he surrender to? He surrendered to God. You know, you know, God's got it, right? Because God told him he had it. So Lot chooses. What does Lot choose? He chooses the uh, Vegas of that time, right?" He looks down at the Jordan Plain, and he sees how lush and how green and how, how popular it was. And I mean, it was Las Vegas, man, and he heads down that way. And eventually, you know, it was a wicked city. Sodom was nearby. It was a wicked city. Eventually, Lot kind of moves into a leadership role, and he's actually living in the city there at Sodom now. Uh, you know, he just kind of, he had what was called the, what I call the world's system or the world's point of view right? Lust of the eyes. Y'all help me. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the what? Flesh and the pride of life. And that's what he chose. Man, that's the world system. Okay, so when we're making choices, you need to kind of check that, you know? Have a gut check on what system you belong to, either his or the world's, right? Lot kind of had one foot in the Word and one in the world, didn't he? One in the Word and one in the world. You know that never works. Guys, it never works. And he just, he put his family, himself, in a, in a risky place spiritually. And look, unless God has called us to a specific location like that, it never works out for us. You know that? Never. So, and then we find out, Bill shared last week, some of the kings, the city rulers, they had been exhorting or, or, or uh, uh, been robbing or, or, you know, like a mafia kind of, hey, man, Pay up, brother, if you want to pass through this, you know, it's called the King's Highway. You know, it was a, it was a trade route. So the, there's a lot of extortion going on with other kings and, and city rulers. Uh, they didn't have countries as kingdoms, but cities. They had kings of cities. So, man, people got fed up with it, right? And then some of the kings were fed up. They're, I'm tired of being, this, all this extortion and paying, you know, and so they go to war. First time war is mentioned there in the Bible. And... Uh, The king of Sodom, he's involved, and Sodom, that city falls, captive to Kedilomir, and Lot's taken prisoner. Isn't that what happens? When we choose the system of the world, and the world starts fighting, what happens to us? We get caught right in the middle of it, don't we? So Lot's taken, his family's taken, his possessions are taken, and one of Lot's servants escapes to go tell Abram what happened. There in Genesis 14, 14, I'll pick it up there. When Abram heard what happened, he mobilized the 318 men born into his household. Then he pursued Kedil. I'm going to mess it up as as bad as you did, Bill. He pursued uh, Kay's army some 240 miles, okay? Now, check this out. Now, think about it. His family army, his family militia takes off to go do battle and rescue Lot 240 miles away. Okay. They caught up with him in Dan, which is the most northern region of Israel. Abram divided his men and attacked during the night. Kay's army fled, but Abram chased them up to Koboth, north of Damascus. Abram recovered all the goods taken and brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and other captives. So Abram had it going on, didn't he? His men, I mean, that was a great militia, man, that were trained, and uh, it's just crazy. Now, when Lot gets back home, what does Lot do? It doesn't say, but later we find, I think it's in chapter 18, 19, Lot goes right back to Sodom. Are you kidding me? Lot had a tremendous, you know, Bill's sermon was, you know, rescue story last week. Lot had a phenomenal rescue story, and what did he do? He went right back to Sodom. Man, you notice what some of us do? We have a phenomenal rescue story in Jesus Christ. And we keep going right back to Sodom. To the wickedness, to the evil, to the world system. Crazy, isn't it? You know, we can't fix that. Did you know God can only fix that in a person? We spend all our time, effort, energy, resources trying to fix people. You can't fix people. Say that to yourself right now. I can't fix people. Stop trying. Stop. Because we're wasting time. Only God can fix people. And look, regardless of what Lot did, Abram did the right thing, didn't he? Didn't he? He did. Now I don't know that in looking at this this week and, and 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 praying through it and doing some research, I don't know that this was a spiritual thing at all. My my nephew has been captured. Boys, we're going to go get him. Okay. I don't know that you can say there's a spiritual connection here, other than to say James four seventeen. He who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it is sin. Okay. Now. Let, let, let me say this. I, I need to well, let's make let's make clarification here, okay? God doesn't give up on people, does he? Okay, neither should we. Okay. Let me preface what I'm getting ready to say with that. God doesn't give up on people, neither should we. However, there's a difference in rescuing people from sin or enabling people to remain in their sin. Y'all tracking with me? See, sometimes, sometimes you have to, and lot, this is gonna happen later on with Lot and Abraham. Sometimes you gotta say, I'm gonna pick on David. Sometimes you gotta say, because David's easy to pick on. I'm gonna say, <laughs> David, look, brother, I love you. You know, a month ago, man, we, we, we rescued you from that. But I can't help you right now. I'm gonna pray for you. We're gonna pray for you, we're gonna pray for your family. We're here if you need us. See, sometimes God allows people to get in certain circumstances, and the only thing that's going to cause them to turn to Jesus is that suffering that he's going to go through. And if, and if, you know, y'all ever done that with your kids? Your kids, anybody's kids just do stupid stuff sometimes? Hey, y'all were kids one time, y'all do some stupid stuff? Come on, y'all been lying this morning, you better hold them hands up. Did y'all's parents ever say, okay, you want that? Go ahead, brother. See, God did this in Romans, right? He abandoned them. He gave them up to their sin, right? God didn't abandon them. He didn't didn't say, look, I'm not going to save you. He said, but look, if you want that over me, you go and knock yourself out. So it's the same principle here. So, man, we need to really pray and have discernment. Before we strike out to go rescue somebody, we really need to pray and seek God's wisdom and his discernment. Lord, am I rescuing them or am I enabling them to stay in their sin because I'm rescuing them? Okay, that, man, that's critical, okay? Um, and look, i got to confess here. Uh, it's confession time. So something that hit me last week, and and it really confirmed a conviction that I've had for several months, Uh, Genesis 14, 14, that same verse, Abram mobilized, assembled, called out the 318 men in his household that were trained. Okay, look, guys, how can we do the right thing? How can we rescue anybody if we're not trained? Okay? Abram would not have been able to rescue Lot if he didn't train and prepare his men. Right? And notice Abram didn't train and prepare his men when the situation took place. What did he do? They were trained and prepared ahead of time. Okay? So I, I've been convicted for a while about our being more focused and intentional in discipleship. Okay? If you want to call it discipleship, that's a churchy word. Call it training. Call it investing in one another. Call it sharpening one another. And this is not new. You've heard me say this probably a hundred times, Right? Okay, I, I, I think we need to train, invest, and sharpen men. That's what the conviction's on my heart, men, uh, to be all that God wants us to be. Okay, now not that we're doing anything wrong, but we need to improve. We need to be trained. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready to rescue not get ready when the situation happens, but be ready, okay? Uh, some of you guys went in the military, okay? You didn't wait until there was a, a, a situation overseas to, well, I reckon we ought to start training now. You trained and trained and trained and trained. Y'all were sick of training, right? I mean, some of you got to the point, man, I hope something happens so I can use what I've been training, <laughs> right? So that's where we need to be spiritually, right? And look, I ain't got all the answers. I do not have all, I don't know exactly what we're going to do, but I know we're going to train, we're going to invest in one another, we're going to disciple one another to be God's men. Okay? And that's going to require a commitment. It's going to require a commitment. I'm making that commitment. And if you want to grow and be God's man, you're going to have to make that commitment. Look, doing nothing is unacceptable. Doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting different results, that's insanity. So I don't want to do nothing, and I don't want to be insane, okay? So we're going to do something. So after the service today, there's a piece of paper right here. Men, if you want to be a part of that, I'll share the details with you. Give me your name. Give me your phone number, okay? All right? And look, let me, let me say this too. This does not take place of what you're involved in now, okay? So if you're involved in a ministry now, you're not going to leave that ministry to come and do No, this is in addition to, okay, this is training, Okay, uh, y'all didn't leave the army when you were in the military or, or the navy. You didn't you didn't get out of the navy to go do additional training, did you? No, you were still in. You still had your regular job that you had to do. The training was on top of that. So again, there's going to be a commitment. Okay, if you're not all in, don't put your name on a piece of paper. Because if your name's on the paper, I'm expecting you to be committed and all into that. But that's just a conviction that I've got. Okay, if you want to help me do that, praise God. Come and help me do that. Because I think there's coming a time in the future where some of us are going to need to be rescued, right? People we don't know, our family, friends, biker community, we're going to need to go rescue some folks. We can't if we're not prepared. So today, here we are. Abram goes in. He rescues Lot. He's coming back home. And Starting in verse 17. We'll go 17 through the end of the chapter. It says, after Abram returned from defeating Kay, King Kay and the kings allied with him the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shavah. That's the king's valley. Abram is victorious, right? He's on the way home. And you know what it's like, man, when, when, when there's victory and you're on the, on the way home, some of you guys who were in, in, in military conflict and you're coming home, I mean, that was, you're ecstatic, right? I get to go home, man. We won. The battle's over. I can't wait to get home and see my family. So that's the way he is, man. And King Sodom comes out to greet him and there was four or five kings involved in this war. Only one comes out to greet Abram. That's kind of sad, isn't it? After Abram defeats, you know, wins the war, and Abram's feeling good, man. 318 men defeat four or five kings. I mean, 318 of his own men, his own personal militia, defeats these other kingdom cities. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? You know, and at the same time, Abram's got to be feeling like, Wow, man, this is the first time wars broke out. And I've gone and I've defeated these rascals, and man, what if they're going to (laughs) come, what if they're coming back? What if they're going to go home, you know, be renewed, be restored militarily, and then they're coming after me, right? What the heck did I just do? And my stupid knucklehead, he just went back to Sodom. You know, you, you think about these things, right? Is this going to be a constant thing now? Am I going to have to watch my back everywhere I go? I mean, what have I got to do now to protect my family and protect myself, protect my my possessions, my herd? I mean, God's blessing me, and now what the heck did I just do? You know, ain't it funny how when we get through a victory, when God gives us a victory, ain't it funny how Satan starts working on your head? Huh? Planting them little seeds. Just start messing with your mind. Verse 18, then Machilzadek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of most high God. And he blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, Machilzadek, king of Salem, who, who is this cat, right? I mean, where did he come from? He wasn't mentioned last week when, when Bill was going through all these, these kings that were fighting. I don't remember hearing his name, y'all. I mean, where, did he, where does he come from, right? Now, some have suggested uh, that Machilzadek is Noah's son Shem, okay? Because, you know, Sh- Noah's son Shem, say that five times fast, he, he, lived, he lived about 30 to 35 years after Abram died. So Shem was still alive during this time. Some suggested it might have been him. Uh, some suggested it was a type of Christ or Christ himself. And, and, and if, if, you look, if you look that up, what that really means, it's a, a theophany. That's a churchy word or a Christophany, okay? A theophany or a Christophany is when God shows up to man. Okay, or Christ shows up to man, right? Uh, Genesis 12, the Lord appeared to Abram when he arrived in Canaan. Okay, theophany. Genesis 18, two angels in God himself visit Abraham. Okay, there's a theophany again. The Lord appeared to Isaac in Beersheba. Jacob wrestled with God. Remember that story? Okay, there's a theophany. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. Sometimes he doesn't appear in human form. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. Bush wouldn't burn up. Okay, again, that's a theophany. And then, remember in Dan, Dan chapter three, Shadrach, three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What happened to them? Huh? They would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar got so mad, he heated the furnace seven times hotter than it normally was. He heated the furnace so hot, the guys that threw them in the furnace died. And then Nebuchadnezzar looked in there and he says, Didn't we throw three men in the furnace? He said, I I see four, and one looks like a son of God. Christophany, where Jesus showed up. And in Acts chapter 9, 22 and 26, Christ appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, right? Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? We know Paul was attacking and killing Christians, right? The body of Christ. So that's the, you know it could be this. So this Machilzadek could be a type of Christ or a Christophany. And it's only mentioned, Machilzadek is only mentioned in three places in Genesis 14, uh, Psalm 110, and Hebrews 7. But in the New Testament, Jesus, Peter, and Paul, that's a pretty good combination, isn't it? Jesus, Peter, and Paul mention Machilzadek. And they quote scripture about him. So here's here's what he is. Now, we've already read part of it. Machilzadek means king of righteousness. He's the king of Salem, and some believe that Salem was the original Jerusalem. He was the priest of the Most High God, right? He was both a priest and a king. And now God forbid that in in, uh, the kingdom of Israel, okay? There was one king, Uzziah, or Uzziah. Uh, He tried that in 2 Chronicles, and God struck him with leprosy. He was going to be king and and priest. God said, no, Bubba, you're going to die of leprosy. Okay? So God frowned on that. But here we've got one who was king and priest, right? And it says his priesthood is eternal. It's not of God. And we know, where did the priesthood in the nation of Israel come from? Y'all remember? Y'all saw the movie, Charlton Heston? Okay? Ten Commandments. Aaron was Moses' brother, right? The Levites, right? The priests came from Aaron and from the Levites. So check this out. Here, here's, here's a couple of things I want to read some of Psalm. Uh, well, yeah, some of Psalm one ten, and then some of uh, Hebrews, just to give you some background because I think it's important. One through seven in, in, in Psalm one ten. This is King David prophesying about the Messiah. Okay, this is a prophecy about Jesus. The Lord says to my Lord, now this, this is David, and he's speaking as if it's God speaking to his son. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord, that's God the Father, will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on the day of battle, on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Machilzedek. And if you skip over to Hebrews 7, the writer of Hebrews says, This Machilzedek was king of the city of Salem and also a priest of the Most High God. When Abram was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Machilzadek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all that he had captured in battle and gave it to Machilzadek. The name Machilzadek means king of justice, righteousness, and king of Salem means king of peace. There's no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever resembling the Son of God. I think that's a great description of who this king is, right? King of righteousness, king of peace, king and a priest, eternal. I mean, I think we can see who this is referring to, can't we? Consider then how great this Melchizedek was. This is verse 4 of Hebrews. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now, the law of Moses required that the priests, who are descendants of Levi, must collect a tithe from the rest of the people of Israel, their brothers, who are also the descendants of Abraham. But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham. And Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. And without question, listen to this, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one being blessed. Hebrews 7, 23 through 28, it says, There are many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save completely those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need because he's holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven or higher than the heavens. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited, listen to this, the law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness, but after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. Man, that's amazing, isn't it? And you've got to know some of the cultural stuff and some of the history of Israel and, 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 and the priests and all that stuff to, to really understand some of that. But the, the, the thing is this, man, Melchizedek was a, a representation, a type of Christ meeting with Abraham because Abraham wouldn't see the promise. Abraham died before the promise. So God is giving him here, I believe, a foreshadowing, a foreshadowing of what's to come. Now, how do we know that? Well, Machilzadek refreshes, encourages, and blesses Abram with what? What's the first thing he does? He comes out, man. He's got a wine, and he's got bread for Abraham. Boy, I wonder what that could be. Machilzadek has communion with Abraham. A foreshadowing of what Christ did with the disciples at the Last Supper, right? A foreshadowing of what we do with communion, right? Man, think about it. Think about it just for a minute. Is there anything that refreshes, that encourages, that blesses more than communion with Jesus? Nothing. Nothing. To eat the bread, his body, to drink the wine, his blood, and experience the, the promise of God's restoration in Jesus. To know, to know that our sins, the, the debt, the offense has been covered. Man, there's nothing greater than that. There's no I mean, to live every day knowing that I'm right with God, to live every day knowing that my stupid mistakes are covered because I've got the right relationship with Him. I've been on the other side of the fence. It's miserable. I was a miserable human being, man, till I was 35 years old. Until I finally surrender my life, say, okay, Jesus. Okay. I got saved, but I didn't get surrendered. Three years later I surrendered. And there's a difference. I think a lot of people are saved, but there's a lot of people ain't surrendered. And it's the greatest thing if you ain't never tasted that. It's the greatest thing you'll ever experience in your life. And some of you are denying it. Some of you are rejecting it online. Some of you are just, ah, uh, that song, Casting Crowns, Jesus at a Distance. Go listen to that song if you haven't heard it, by the way. We keep Jesus at a distance. You'll never know. You'll never experience, you'll never taste the goodness of God until you surrender. You just won't. And then that's not enough. If that's not enough, if that's not enough to know I can't lose, how many of y'all like to win? Huh? How many of y'all, uh, we got control freaks, we got, we got people out here just competitive. You cheat at Monopoly? <laughs> Huh? I hate to lose, man. I hate it. I want to win. In Jesus, we win. Why would, you want, why would you pick a losing team knowing you're going to lose? That don't even make no sense, does it? Ain't that what the prodigal son said when he came to his senses? Wait a minute. I'm on, why am I doing eating hog slop? I'm on the losing team. Let me go back to my father's house. And then Hebrews 7 alluded to it, but after Machilzadek blesses Abram, Abram gives Machilzadek a tenth of everything. This is not everything he owned. This is, he, he, this is what he took out of the battle, right? Machilzadek reminds Abram that the battle, the victory was not his, but God's. Don't miss that, guys. The victory that we're living from, the victory that we win, the victories, the battles that we experience That where we win every day, it's not our battle. We didn't win. God won. Jesus won. We're just getting to experience that. Right? Abram expressed his gratitude and appreciation to God for the victory. Right? He worships God. He doesn't want to take the glory and honor from God. So what does he do? He gives him the first fruits. Say first fruits. Abram gave him the best, not what was left. How many of us are having victory after victory after victory, and we're not honoring God, we're not worshiping God, we're not giving Him the first fruits, but we're giving Him what's left? Stop. Number one, don't be taking God's glory, right? It's His battle. He won the victory. Don't be stealing His glory and His honor. No, He did it. And then give him the first fruits. Man, give him the best. Abram was simply expressing his faith, trust, obedience to God, as well as his commitment and confidence in God, right? It was an act of respect and and reverence and worship, right? It was saying, hey, God, I know you're greater. Christ is greater. Christ is greater, right? We just read that in Hebrews 7. And man, look, this is the same attitude, the same heart that we need to have as we're living in our day-to-day, as we're fighting some of these battles, as we go to rescue certain people, you know, anybody got battles going on? When we win that battle, when we receive those blessings, this is how we need to live, okay? this ain't about tithing, okay? This is about the victory when you win the battle. There's battles going on every day, man. If you can't see it, you need to wake up. There's a spiritual battle going on. Read Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, okay? There's a spiritual battle going on, okay? And if we're right with him, we got the right relationship, the right fellowship, and we're obedient, then man, we're gonna win some battles, okay? We may be knocked down, but we get up, right? We're gonna win some battles. And what we do, what we do is critical. Verse 21. All this has taken place. Machilzadek has refreshed, encouraged, and blessed Abram. The king of Sodom. He's right there, man. king of Sodom. Remember, he came out first, right? He says to Abram, uh, Hey, give me the people and you can keep the goods. Machilzadek has just blessed Abram, Right? Abram just gave Machilzadek the first fruits, 10% of everything that he, he captured. I mean, who does it belong to? What's that old saying? To the victor belong the what? spoils. So everything that's there, Abram owns it. It's his. He's already given a tenth of it to Machilzadek. And now this jack-legged king of Sodom comes along and says, Oh, hey, by the way, man, uh, you can keep the plunder. Just, just give me the people. What do you mean? Abram's going, wait a minute, dude. Uh, you evidently, you don't understand the rules here. Because <laughs> I went and won the battle, okay? Now, here you come along telling me what I can do with the plunder? Uh, I don't think so, Bubba. So it's, it's almost as if he's blessing or trying to bless Abraham, right? Or Abram. You know, because Machilzadek has blessed him, and now here this king of Sodom has come along trying trying to bless him as well, right? Do you know Satan has a counterfeit for everything that God has? Satan has a counterfeit for everything that God has. So when Christ is blessing us in that relationship with him, when God is blessing us, you think Satan ain't gonna come along and throw his little two cents in there? That's what's happening right here. Look, and Abram knows who it belongs to. See, here's, man, look, look, look. I don't think there's a greater test. Y'all listening to me this morning? I don't think there's a greater test of integrity and character, of trust, faith, and obedience to God, than when we've won a battle, we've been refreshed, encouraged, and blessed And then what do we do with the spoils? What do we do with it? Notice what Abraham did. Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand, I've sworn an oath to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal. So that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten. He couldn't do nothing about that. And the share that belongs to the men who were with me, to Aner, Eskel, and Mamre. Let them have their share. Now Abram was not imposing his conviction on on the men who fought with him, right? But he wouldn't take nothing. I don't, want a, I don't want a thread or a shoestring, a sandal strap. I don't want nothing from you, King Sodom, because I've already been blessed. I've already been blessed because I won the victory. And I've already, I've already taken my blessing and I've blessed Christ with it. I've given Him my first fruits. See, guys, that's the way we need to live, that's His kingdom. The kingdom of the world will tell you what? kingdom of the world will tell you, hey, man, take it, take it, take it, take it, man, you need that. Hoard it, man, you better put some back for a rainy day. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? Man, God wants our first fruits after the victory. Give Him His first fruits. We bless Him because He's the one that's greater, isn't He? Absolutely, man. See, Abram wasn't going to allow an opportunity for a man or a kingdom of the world, especially a wicked one, right? To have any influence or impact over him, his life, and his purpose for God. And I think that's the way we need to be living in the church. See, sometimes we allow sin to come into the church, we allow sin into the camp, we allow, we compromise, don't we? What areas of our life have we compromised? Here's, quickly, I'm going to close with this. There are five things, okay? I'm not going to go into detail on them, but you you can do some homework. Here's the first thing. The battle's not ours, it's God's. But we're the ones that got to fight. Are you trained and prepared? The battle's not not mine, it's God's, but are we, as, as his soldiers, right, trained and prepared? God already knows the battle's going to be One, okay, he knows that. In the right relationship, and the right fellowship, with the right obedience, nothing can defeat God's people. Number two, after victory, Satan will attack you. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, he will attack you, okay? Be refreshed, encouraged, and blessed by God through communion. What does communion mean? We eat the bread, we drink the blood, the, the, the wine. If you ingest something, what does that mean? and well, that's a pretty tight relationship, isn't it? Fellowship with Jesus, guys. Be refreshed, be encouraged, be blessed by your fellowship, your relationship with Jesus. Jesus said remember to remember, remember this new covenant. Remember. Here's Here's this is a sidebar. How do we defeat Satan and his attacks? What's, what's the number one thing we can do to defeat Satan? You've got to die to the world system. That's the only system Satan has. Do you know every temptation is lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. Every temptation is in one of those three things. So if you die to the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, which is dying to who? Self. If you die to self, come on now. If you die to self, Satan's already defeated. Check out these two scriptures James 4 7. So give yourselves completely to God. How, how, how much? Stand against the devil. There's your fight. And the devil does what? He'll run from you. Why? You mean the devil runs? Yes. When you give yourself to God completely, when you stand on principle, God's principle, not yours, not ours, not mine, no. He owns me. I'm standing on his word. Satan runs from you. Hey, that's a promise from God, man, right? Conditional, but it's a promise from God. Ephesians six ten. Finally, my brothers, finally... After all, finally, finally means after everything you've done, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Because guys, there ain't nothing we can do. It's only the Spirit of God in us that can do anything, right? Picture yourself today as a glove. You're a glove. Go home today, put your glove on the kitchen table, watch how many wonderful things it does. You know what it's going to do? Nothing. Nothing. You can get up tomorrow morning and the glove's going to be in the same spot doing the same thing it did when you put it there. When does the glove come alive? When you stick your hand in it. The same thing applies when the Holy Spirit of God comes in here. We come alive. Otherwise, we're dead. We're dead. Here's the other thing. Three. When we experience victory in the battles... Don't forget to give God glory. Don't forget to worship him. Don't forget to give him 10%. He just wants 10%. Abram did 10%. I don't know why he did 10%. He just did 10%. Give him your first fruits. I think 10% represents the first fruits of our victory. The first fruits of, it's our best, right? In honor and glory of God and winning the battle. Fourth thing, don't, Don't give up the eternal for some earthly reward. Abram refused King Sodom. Hey, Jack, look, you keep all this plunder, just give me the people. I thought that was kind of interesting. What does Satan want? See, guys, let me tell you something. Satan will bless you materially. Satan will give you a lot of worldly things. He don't care about the worldly stuff. He just wants souls. Last thing, separate from the world. Be set apart for Christ. Abram didn't want nothing unlike Lot, right? Lot saved from the battle. Lot runs back to Sodom. Abram won't even take. He won't take nothing. Man, I don't want a thread or a sandal strap. Abram separated himself from the world. Guys, that's a picture of what we have to do. As followers of Christ, this is the way we fight. This is the way we respond to victory in our battles. And as we close today, guys, y'all come. As we close today, I want to encourage you, go back through this. Number one, train. Be prepared biblically, okay? Some point in time, you're going to have to fight and rescue somebody, okay? All God's children, His followers, we're fighting not for victory, but from victory, right? Victory's already taken place on the cross, So be refreshed, be encouraged, be blessed by Jesus in communion, relationship with him. Honor, glorify God with your first fruits. Don't give up the eternal for the earthly. And then last, separate from the world and the world system. Man, if we do that in in our fight and after the fights, man, that's, that's a way to glorify and honor God. That, that's the way to worship. That's the way to live and worship Him. Man, that's a huge, that has huge influence and impact on the world, doesn't it? So the next time you're in a battle and God blesses you, I want you to think about this. Because again, I think Satan, man, Satan uses it. You think Satan's not in the church? In our blessing, in, in our victory after the battle, in our success spiritually, This is the way we need to respond because Satan wants to get in there and manipulate and destroy it. He don't care about the material. He just wants souls. Father, I praise you. I thank you in Jesus' name for your word. Lord, sometimes when I read it, I don't understand everything. But Lord, the more I read it and the more I study and the more I go back, the more you reveal. Because, Lord, it's a relationship. It's fellowship. We can't spend time, Lord, with you and not learn new things or you not reveal new things about yourself and your word. So, Father, I pray for each and every person here and online today that... If there's anything that's not clear, anything we don't understand, Lord, that we would go back and we'd read it again and ask you, Lord, Lord, just help me understand. Help me understand your word. Help me understand what I need to do because I'm yours. Father, today I pray if there's one here, if there's one here, Lord, who's never tasted salvation, never tasted that that right relationship with you or the right fellowship with you, I pray today would be a spiritual birthday in their life. Father, help us as a church family. Lord, because you've blessed us. As Freedom Biker Church, you have blessed us indeed. Help us to live and respond to you this way. Help us, Lord, to be people who just absolutely convicted by your word Committed to you and controlled by you. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.